Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, Hong Kong operates films for Batmania abounds, and we look at the films The Four and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, as well as the Blu-ray for Hayao Miyazaki's to- uh, My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, July 17th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location right here in the burning heat of the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, You know, uh, any day now, and uh, I think... The wife is about ready to pop, uh, and life, as I know it, will change. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, going to work and uh, going to movies and uh, doing all that good stuff. How, how have you been? Um, pretty much same old, same old. You know, keeping busy, watching movies, uh, not sleeping enough as always. But of mm-hmm. course, we always say this week as uh, the Dark Knight Rises finally lands in the city. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll talk in just a little bit in the news section about the. Uh, the Batman frenzy that's going on. Um, what else? What else? What do you do with your free time though? When you're not uh, when you're not out watching movies, how does Kevin Ma uh, entertain himself? That that comes off a little dirty. <laughs> 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 no, I, I I don't have much free time actually. Of course, I'm, I'm I have a day job, of course, and I'm. Also, I've also been busy with work with uh, the Hexagon Concepts Company. You know, it's one of the co-founders, and you know, uh, we're we're really rolling now with with different different uh, projects and, and uh, different ways to to try and find, um, um, you know, next steps to to launch next steps of the project. So of course we're staying busy. So I'm doing a lot of work for that and um, that and, and juggling uh, you know other things like girlfriends and things like that. Well, girlfriend singular. Um, yeah, it's not much free time left for myself to yeah. entertain myself, so to speak. And then the freelance stuff work that you do from time to time as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if we're lucky, we, you might throw in an occasional blog for us, right? Yes, yes. If you, if you saw this past week, uh, Mr. Spomberg of, of Hexagon Concepts uh, threw in a, his view of um, uh, Super Capitalist, a uh, locally made film uh, made by uh, a whole group of expats. Uh, and I'm hoping... Possibly, if I have time uh, to throw in a new blog entry sometime about the success of Painted Skin Resurrection. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let me throw a quick hello out to the chat room. We've got uh, quite a few people out there uh, this evening. Um, some some regulars. And Mr. Seidel in the chat room mentions cage fighting. Do you do you take up cage fighting at all on the weekends? I do take up ultimate fighting. Maybe ultimate not fighting. cage. Yeah, yeah. You know, all that kicking and kneeing and hugging under men, you know, all that. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> What, 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 wait, what, I, I didn't say that. Yeah. Uh, and the ring, I, I imagine the ring announcer to be Michael Wong. 
you know, he's sort, of, he's sort of like Hong Kong's Bruce Campbell, I guess. Um, all right, but that, but I digress. So that's neither, neither here Stop me somebody from the soundboard for that. Soundboard. Let me let me pull up uh, the Michael Wong soundboard. Uh, this one. I'm pleased with the outcome. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, we've got some movies to talk about this week. Before we get on to news, what films are we going to be covering? East screen, we'll be talking about the four, and uh, for West screen, uh, Paul, you'll be talking about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Yes, four score and seven stakes ago, I uh, killed me a vampire. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, so yes, uh, we'll talk about those movies and some other stuff uh, right before we get through a little bit of news. Uh, Kenneth in the chat room says, Nick Cage fighting. Uh, I'd that, be up for that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, where, you know, a cage match starring Nick Cage and Edison Chen. That's exactly what we need in Hong Kong. Um, so we got some news to talk about this week, some serious news and a little bit of a geek-related news to get through before we talk about our films. Um, up first, uh, some news about Hong Kong cinema, uh, this coming from our favorite news site, uh, Film Business Asia. Uh, this coming from uh, an article yesterday, Monday, July 16th, 16th excuse me, entitled Hong Kong Upgrades Film Support Rules. Um, now this is coming from staff reporters, it says by staff reporters, so... Uh, you know some people over at Film Business Asia. Is there a person named Staff Reporters, or is this a, a collaborative work? Well, I think it's either Patrick Frater or Stephen Kremlin, and possibly both. But I think uh, I think it might be more Patrick, who is based in Hong Kong, as opposed to Stephen, who is based in uh, the mainland. Mm. So basically, this news talks about um, some of the some of the changes to the rules in terms of Hong Kong getting access to the mainland market to mainland screens. I mean. If you are not really sure, um, of course, Hong Kong is technically a part of China, but it's still considered a special region. It still follows its own rules. It has its own uh, government. And as a result, Hong Kong films, even before the handover in 1997, have been treated uh, in mainland by mainland cinemas as an imported uh imported product so basically what that means is that hong kong films have to compete with the quotas of other foreign films hollywood films and european films and things that want to get screen time um in the mainland so what does this rule mean now kevin the, the, some of these changes does this mean that um it's going to be easier for hong kong films to get screen time and does that increase the likelihood that we'll get you know maybe more productions down here Okay, so so the this new rule essentially what what's been happening with Hong Kong cinema is that they've been relying on thanks to SIPA, uh, Hong Kong filmmakers can now work on films as co-productions, meaning that um, they have to follow certain rules, meaning like um, you know one third of the crew must be from China, you must have a a topic that you know relates to Chinese Chinese issues, mainland Chinese issues, and things like that in order to get into China as co-production, which means they can they can go around the quota. And um, rules have been loosening, uh, especially around the Guangdong region, because uh, Guangdong region is actually the always has been consistently the highest grossing from film region of films in China. So which means they're actually, you know, people in Guangdong region actually have been uh, really avid film goers. And that actually has been very important for Hong Kong cinema because Hong Kong films, uh, which are traditionally Cantonese, can play in the original Cantonese soundtrack in the Guangdong province. And that's the last time the rules were loosened. And this new rule essentially opens things even more, saying that 
Hong Kong films that don't even go through the co-production uh, mode of production can open day and date in Guangdong province in its original language, and the content owners can take back um, 25% of the theatrical gross as opposed to uh, 13% before. Um, so what this means is that Hong Kong, essentially pure Hong Kong local productions, no longer have to go through, um, have to you know hire a mainland crew for themselves or hire mainland actors, and essentially make Cantonese cinema for Cantonese audiences, which sounds like a good thing. But what what the story and what actually I think a lot of the the, the new conditions hasn't stated is that whether these films still have to go through SARF as in you know censorship approval before being able to go into Guangdong Province. Which means will Lang Kui Fang two be able to open day and day in China or in Guangdong Province? I don't think so because of the risque content. Mm. So yes, in the end, it's still while Hong Kong films will get a boost because of this new, you know, thirteen million essentially thirteen million extra audiences, potential audiences in the Guangdong Province. They still, I think, they still have to follow play by censorship rules in China. Mm. So in a way, this might actually hurt Hong Kong cinema more because you have you have investors. Um, at least willing to 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 look to a Guangdong audience, more willing to pay, play with SARP rules to get their films to a bigger audience. Yeah, so the the idea of local directors, because maybe this seems a bit more tantalizing to them, may look to bending their their creative wills to, uh, you know, perform self censorship or to or to create stories that fit nicely within the guidelines for the mainland, rather than flexing their creativity and, and trying to be a bit more daring. Exactly. And, and the thing is, it's good news for the industry in that um, uh, industry people who are trying to essentially make a living. Uh, you, we talk about like crewmen, um, you know, your, your production assistants, your cameraman, your light guy, your, your sound guy, who, who, who can't, who get their job stole, quote unquote, stolen by the mainland crew, now get their job back. Mm. Essentially, and not able to get the job back. So yes, good news for industry, good news for people trying to make a living off movies, but not exactly good news for the artistic integrity, so to speak, of Hong Kong cinema. Mm. Um, the article here goes on to make a couple interesting notes. It says um, that uh, this coming from FDC Chairman Jack. So um, he said there have been 31 film productions in Hong Kong so far this year. Doesn't seem like we've had that many, though. Uh, he says, compromising 19 wholly Hong Kong films and 12 Hong Kong mainland co-productions. So that would include things like, I'm guessing, uh, First Time and um, uh, oh, Love Love, and, a... Love and the Buff, right? Love and the Buff, yes. Yeah. Uh, first Time was not a co-production? I don't think so. Actually, no, Echo Money, so maybe. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I think the whole term about oh, which are wholly Hong Kong productions and which are not, and you know that number nineteen actually might be right because many of them are probably being held up and not coming out yet, and blah blah blah. Hmm. So yeah, um, but you know we got Lang Kui Fong too, and that's a Hong Kong production. Um, yeah. Bulgaria, Bulgaria is a Hong Kong production. Yes, yeah. um, I can't even count anymore. Triad, Triad, which is uh, already finished shooting. Uh, Mo- was a Motorway a Hong Kong production? Hong Kong production? Um, nothing. There, there was a co-production. Co-production. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it was a lot of times it's hard to tell. I mean, um, with with some of these films, you really have to pay attention to the credits list and and uh, see where some of the financing is coming from. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, this will you know again, like you said, uh, build the industry so that people wanting to go and work in the industry can find jobs a little bit more easily 
Um, we'll just have to pay attention to see what kind of creativity uh, starts to come out of it. Or do we see more Donnie Yen films where he's beating up Japanese people? Well, and yeah, and people who like Cantonese cinema, just for the, the sake of listening Cantonese, I guess we'll also be happy. Yes. Um, so continuing on with this um, the, the, this, side, this story um, to a somewhat related story, uh, also from Film Biz Asia, uh, this coming from last week, uh, actually two weeks ago, I guess, July 4th, uh, also from Patrick Frader, it, it says that uh, local films have boosted the Hong Kong box office. And I know you talked a little bit uh, about this um, in some aspects um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but uh, this short article really sort of looks at some of the um, local pictures that have done fairly well here um, with, again, as we mentioned, Love and the Buff, obviously, A Simple Life, uh, which ranked fourth and fifth. Um, uh, and uh, at the time, this was uh, putting them still ahead of Prometheus. I'm not sure if that's still uh, current or not. Um, also coming up uh, high in the numbers, The Viral Factor, which I think you saw and talked about here, um, but I, I didn't get a chance to get out and see yet. Um, the Hunger Games, Battleship, and uh, according to this, the 10th spot was the Chinese New Year film, I Love Hong Kong 2012, <laughs> which uh, not a great movie. Of course, the big winner is still The Avengers, um, and the article goes on to say that it scored a colossal $96 million, uh, that is Hong Kong dollars, and more than double the second place, uh, still on release, which at the time was Men in Black, and Journey 2... The Mysterious Island. I had no idea that uh, that film did so well. Well, Journey 1 also did extremely well here in Hong Kong. It, is, that, is that because of the inflated ticket prices? Because that was a 3D film, from what I remember. There was no 2D release of that. Well, one, because uh, the 3D was still fresh, and I think two is based on just, you know, 3D adventure based on the first name, first, film, first film's uh, uh, name. But it's The Rock. Like I know, right? I, I no, it, there was only Journey Two name. It's not like a big name, working. big name draw here in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, um, but you know, for special effects Hollywood movies, they don't even need stars. I mean, look at anyone new, anyone from the Avengers. They they knew the characters better than the stars themselves. That's true. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know been been an interesting year. The real question, of course, is uh, you know, is Batmania gonna dethrone the Avengers? Um, and I guess that can lead into. Uh, sort of the next story that we want to talk about. You mentioned it is Batman week here uh, in Hong Kong and around the world uh, for, you know, many industries. I'm not sure if uh, Batman's getting uh, a day and date release, you know, globally in every cinema on the planet, but uh, we're getting it here on Thursday. I know that uh, simultaneously I've got friends in the United States who are, who are going out for midnight screenings and things. Um, so pretty much the same time. Um, and the word on some of the social networks that I've tried, been trying to avoid, really, um, but it's cropped up a few times, is that people are saying that this makes, uh, you know, this final entry makes the Avengers look like, uh, you know, a, a, a kid's movie, um, that, that this is so much more dark and mature. Um, I'm not sure if I'm buying into that. I don't know if that's just... Um, fanboy hype or um, if the movie's really that good. I mean, this is Christopher Nolan that we're talking about and, and he does have a very mature sense and he can bring us things like Inception, which you know I still think is amazing to this day. Um, and of course, the other two Batman films were, were both 
very high quality and, and, and great films themselves. What is your take on the Batmania that is uh, currently going on in this sort of buildup? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of worried that uh, I'm going to go in, you know, and, and be let down because of all this hype. Uh, and, and, and you haven't read the two, the trade paper reviews, you know, uh, yeah, the trade paper reviews are glowing. Um, the fanboy hype is so huge that they're going after, they're going after critics who didn't like the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's a smear campaign. They upload, they, they overload the server. They, they write a bunch of negative comments and actually it's getting quite, it's getting quite childish. Um, of course for, 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 which is ironic for a superhero movie that's supposed to be mature, more mature. Than, than the other franchises, but I mean, did we? I mean, from the Dark Knight, did we expect the Dark Knight Rises to look anything like the Avengers? The Avengers escape, escape as entertainment, and you know, it's it's a really fun summer popcorn movie, even though it didn't come out in the summer. Um, but then you, you you watch the Dark Knight, you watch Batman Begins, you know that Nolan's take on the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy was never going to be escapist, purely escapist entertainment. Hmm. So um, yes, am I expecting it to be dark and bleak and serious? Yeah, of course. I mean, Christopher Nolan. Um, that's the way he makes movies. Even you know, movies like Inception or even uh, Mento or Insomnia. They always make bleak movies. So um, I, I, it's not really a spoiler to or or any any um, any 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 killer of hype to say that yeah, Christopher Nolan's take is super super serious. But yeah, reading the two trade paper reviews, which had a share of spoilers and kind of told me what's going to happen already, it sounds like Christopher Nolan's not only being somber this time, he's also being very, very, very ambitious. Mm. Um, and I am looking forward to it. I am trying to keep my expectations down a little bit. But of course, after a movie like The Bat, uh, the Dark Knight, um, expectations are going to go through the roof because he's made something so grand, something that essentially changed the game, I think, of the superhero genre. Um it's going to be very interesting. Uh, for me, um, I'll try and go in clean, but um, but I, I, I have certain expectations. It's too late. You're tainted. It's too late. I'm tainted, but um, <laughs> I, am, I am confident that Nolan is going to deliver something good. I, I, I'm trying not to expect something, you know, life-changing or legendary or, you know, best movie ever, that kind of thing. Uh, I am hoping to entertain, and um, at the same time, at the IMAX screen, hoping to be uh, impressed by the spectacle. Um, You know, I'm excited to go and see it. I just, I I mean, I I find the division that's going on, uh, like you you said, kind of of stunning that, uh, again, that, uh, you know, comic book fans and, and, and others would be coming out and and sort of drawing dividing lines like this it's almost like political parties you know our our superhero movie versus your superhero movie now and at, at, at the end of the day the two characters are basically you know the the two key characters are basically archetypes of each other right i mean the avengers has uh tony stark who's a rich millionaire playboy wears a suit of armor and goes around and fights crime uh and what is Bruce Wayne? Rich millionaire playboy, wears a suit of armor, goes around, fights crime. One flies with a cape and uh, a bat wing, and the other flies with, you know, jet boots. Um, but the deal with a lot of... Uh, comp- I mean, I think, I think Tony Stark is, is more like a playboy who is kind of fun to watch, but, you know, Bruce Wayne is a very, very, you know... Sh- wounded character he's much brooding he's much more darker he's much more serious and and he's almost like he has to pretend to have fun because i just watched the old batman movies and he has to pretend to have fun to pretend to 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 look normal 
that's how dark of a character he is. So that in itself kind of defines how the two different approaches of the to, to the comic book genre. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, all of this is being supported by uh, the information overload uh, that has been occurring at Comic-Con over the, the past uh, week, weekend, I guess. Um, and, and last episode, I thought, for some reason, I thought Comic-Con had already started, but it was just the build-up to Comic-Con that I had been skimming across that made me think it was started. It hadn't really started, and boy, it started in force um, with all the tweets and, and all the various websites that I tend to uh, read up on for things like, you know, culture, pop culture and media and whatnot, just brimming, filled to the brim with all this information and it's almost like for me information overload when you know at this time of the year now i mean i'm excited to see some of the stuff coming up but there's just way too much stuff to keep up with anymore and at the end of the day it will all be sort of disseminated by two or three weeks from now so i figure why why bother to try and you know just be current and keep up with everything because there's so much out there so i just went and i started looking at all the cosplay picks <laughs> <laughs> No, this, some really this, this, good cosplay picks too. <laughs> I'm just amazed by, you know, some of the some of the costumes. And I look at some of these costumes and I think, are they, uh, you know, some some you can tell, they're fans, but some look like they're just professional people who got hired by a product, you know. And and it's hard to tell anymore, you know. I mean, who's who's being sponsored by, you know, a certain a certain product or a certain IP to go walk around Comic-Con and to, to look hot or to look cool and then to, uh, you know, generate some marketing buzz about the product. Um, but, yeah, that's basically how I, I killed my break time today, just looking at cosplay photos. Yeah, but when we talk about the information overload, it's like my my social media feeds during, you know, Film Mart and um, the Shanghai Film Festival and Beijing Film Festival, essentially all these things converging, all this information converging, everyone trying to get a get the spotlight and pushing out, you know, press conferences and things like that. Yes, yeah, so it, it's it's tough to to get a hold of all the information. I, I know yeah. it's like, but I mean, even I mean, it's like I would say at least fifty percent of the stuff that I was seeing in the feeds and in the streams that I read coming out of Comic Con had nothing to do with comics. Of course, you know. No, I mean, one on. one one article I I came across was talking about fashion models and who which which fashion models would look the best as uh, dressing. They 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 hadn't even dressed up. It was like speculating. It was like science fiction and fashion models saying which fashion models would be the best cosplayers as certain heroes. Um, so just, you know, just a whole lot of weird stuff uh, coming out of Comic-Con. And I know this has been a criticism. I think we talked a little bit about this last year, that it's gotten so far, it's gone so far beyond comic books. And I know, you know, we can talk about movies and things that are related and video games that are that are related. But there seems to be so much more now um, that it's gone, you know, the, maybe they should retitle it and call it, call it Pop Culture Con or something. I don't know. That's a terrible name. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I'd ever want to go. It's too big. It's about money, 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 promotion, money, marketing, money, sure. money. It's not even about comics anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they had some, what looked like some really interesting panels. Um, for example, there was a Firefly reunion panel that, that went on. Um, there was a True Blood panel. You know, a lot of 
panels for, for television shows and things. But uh, from people that I know that have gone, who can attest to this, and, and from things that I've read, you can't even get into these panels because even like if you want to go to the panel about the My Little Ponies, right, but immediately after that is a Firefly panel, the Firefly people will go and sit in the My Little Ponies panel and take up space and take up a spot that you might want even though you might not be interested because they're going to wait for the next panel. They're they're there for the next panel because apparently they don't clear the rooms or something. And um, it's it's so different. I mean, I, I went to quite a few conventions back in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, back then it was just small things when geeks were geeks and uh, very little cosplay went on. And the cosplay that did go on was really very homemade, uh, non-professional looking stuff. And... Um, the only att attractive girls you might see uh, on a given day um, would be, you know, you could count on one hand, and the rest were all sweaty guys. Uh, totally different today. So I don't, I don't know if I could, if I could stand being in, in, that many, in, in places with that many people, but then again, I get up every day and go on the MTR to work here in Hong Kong, so it's kind of the same thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, would you ever go to a Comic-Con, Kevin? God, no. Sorry, Harry, no. no. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, it's, it's not my, it's not, not your, my crowd. Not your thing? Even if you were going for, thing. like, uh, film stuff, film-related stuff? No, even then, it's too much, too much comic stuff. And no offense, I mean, yes, it's, in the end, it's all about nerd movies and mm. comic book movies. And, you know, nothing against those, but it's just... Like I'd rather go to Film Mart or like a film market and you know more business events than you know uh, Comic Con because I wouldn't know what's going on half the time. Yeah, it's too crowded and yeah, so not my crowd. Okay, all right. I think that's all the news we want to cover for this week. So why don't we move on and talk about some films? All all right, so this week we've got one East Screen film to talk about, and uh, that is the latest martial arts fantasy epic called The Four. Uh, Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about The Four? Sure. Uh, the Four is based on a, a very famous series of novels, uh, wuxia novels, and um, this is the first, I'm not sure if this is the first adaptation, but there's the latest big screen adaptation from uh, Hong Kong director Gordon Chan, who has apparently given up Hong Kong and now only makes period movies. Um, the film has a very big ensemble cast. Um, it stars um, Anthony Wong as a, the leader of a team called the, the Divine Constabulary. I think they're kind of like a like a secret team that is that their answers directly to the king himself uh, and solves crimes around the kingdom. And um, their latest case takes them to the capital, where they run afoul of the uh, six windows. Is it? six doors essentially the, the local the local spy agency so to speak and um and 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 gets them in trouble because they they kind of fighting with jurisdiction and that um the team currently has uh Liu Yifei playing uh emotionless a uh crippled girl who sits in a chair and can read minds and uh Colin Chow playing Iron Hands a man who has you know as the his title says Iron Hands uh so in the latest mission uh recruits them two new members um Ronald Chang who's playing uh a debt collector named Life Snatcher because of his super tracking abilities and his uh, abilities to to run really quickly over roofs, and um, 
Dan Chow playing a man named Cold Blooded, who kind of is like the Hulk, who gets um, superpower, super big muscle powers when he when he gets when he can't control his blood poison. Um, but actually, the Cold Blooded is actually a spy for the Six Windows um, because the Six Windows want to take down the Divine Constabulary. Um, but actually, they do have a common enemy um, named An Ji Gun, uh, played by Wu Xiu Bo, who is. Uh, a villain who is trying to take down the leader of the Six Windows and has some kind of evil plans in the work and has spies everywhere, but you don't really know what his plan is until the very end. Um, so yes, it, it sounds like this movie is uh, kind of like a take on the X Men uh, because everyone, the, the team has their all, all has their own superpowers and they're all they have a, a mighty leader who you know who is wise and all knowing and also has his own superpower. Um, so it sounds like Gordon Chan is doing X Men, but in period action without the relevant context because the the current series of X Men movies is supposed to also double for you know. Uh, because well, the, Brian Singer, the director, was uh, was gay, because, so is gay. So apparently, he, his take on it is essentially is about gay youths, outcast. Uh, but of course, Gordon Chan is smart enough to bring that kind of context. All he does is adapt the original novel, which did not have superpowers, by the way, which only pe- had people with uh, wuxia, wuxia skills, martial arts skills, not really superpowers. So he changed that and gave them all superpowers and turned them into the X Men. Um, I'm sure Gordon Chan worked really hard. Uh, apparently, the film has 2,000 special 2,000 special effects shots and a uh, kind of an impressive opening opening shot uh, that flies through the town and you know technically is impressive. But he's not really made for this sort of film. Uh, Gordon Chan is better known for you know Stephen Chow comedies like like flirting. Uh, no, like um, like uh, Beggar, the King of Beggars, or uh, or like uh, Fight Back to School, or uh, even Thunderbolt. Um, but he's not really a, a, a director who can work as well without a star to anchor the film. So you can see from like um, 2018 or even later, like Mr. Three Minutes or even as recent as Miro, that he's not really, he hasn't become a really, um, his films don't really engage anymore for some reason. It's not like he's not, it's like he's not even trying as hard anymore. So just like his the rest of his films in the last decade and a half, the film really lacks energy. And, and to replace real directing and real storytelling and real editing style, he uses really bad MTV style, you know, like really strange transition, like transitions from 1990s karaoke video um, to, 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 to tell the story and to transition and to, to replace, you know, real style. Um, and the whole thing is really oddly directed. Um, the main characters, the four, they aren't really all that much worth caring about because the movie doesn't properly set up the team. Um, it kind of joins in the middle and doesn't really explain who they are as well as it should. It's not really origin film, but it's not really an episode in the in the in the adventures of the four because it's kind of halfway on both. Um, however, I think the Colin Chow character, Iron Hands, I, I kind of like him a lot, and, and I think he really has potential. Even though you know Ronald Chang also has his moments, and I think uh, Paul, you really like the Ronald Chang character, right? So, um, but I, I kind of like Colin Chow. It's, it's it's kind of nice to see him playing a good guy after after. Um, after Flashpoint, I think so. It's, it's kind of it's kind of nice to see him as a good guy playing a righteous good guy. Um, but actually, my favorite character was Wu Xiaobo as the over the top villain who is really strangely awesome because he kind of just struts around and 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 plays everything really flamboyantly. Like I think um, Kozo had it best is that he's casually villainy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where he's like at the end, he's like. Oh, here I go! Here I go! I'm and, and I go away, and then boom, he explodes. 
He's like, he's always swinging around, like, huh, you're going to get me. It's okay. You know, that kind of, it's really quite fun to watch. And I hope he shows up in the sequel, which has already started shooting, by the way. And Light Apparently has so much faith on this movie that uh, the sequel actually started shooting the day before the movie came, the first film came out. So whatever that tells you about the faith they had uh, uh, in the film. Um, but honestly, I don't think. I'm, I'm just hoping to see Wushu Bo ba- uh, back or Gordon Chen do just as badly in the second and third film or see where, where he takes where it takes us the, 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 the next stories um, tons of confusing logic issues um, there's a big thing with the chair with an emotionless chair uh, where apparently she moves with her mind kind of like Professor X but, but she needs someone to push her or there's a little bit of slight modification done towards the end and makes you wonder why does she need someone to push her in the first place um, she does this flying ninja stars thing where she just swings left and right and then the stars come out from her back it's just like it never. It doesn't make any sense. Um, also, Anthony Wong does a twist at the end of Anthony Wong that you 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 that you know that if he pulled it out, um, pulled that twist out really early on, there would be no movie. Um, so a <laughs> ton of really confusing logic issues um, that doesn't really earn the 118 minute time. Um, but you know, ultimately, it's a good idea, I guess. You know, the the four the four superpowers, you know, fight uh, uh, fighting crime and solving crimes and things like that. Period. China, it's a it's a fine idea for a franchise, but the execution is really terrible. Uh, Gordon Chen is no longer a good director. He hasn't been a good director for the last fifteen years. I don't know how he keeps getting work, and I don't know why people actually think his movies are still good because they're never really that engaging. Um, and it's really sad because Gordon Chen has done so much better 10, 15 years ago. And we're still getting two sequels. So I guess you might as well watch it. So in the end, I would say TV it, but on VCD. Mm. Paul? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I like movies like this. I, I, I like, you know, sort of the the fantasy martial arts mashups where you've got, uh, you know, people with powers that are beyond simply, you know, being good at martial arts you know they're not simply like Wong Fei Hong or something but they've actually got super normal uh types of powers so I went in you know really excited for this film and really wanting to like it a lot um based on discussions I had with some other people that we watch films with I think Shelley had mentioned um that she had read the books and that there had been significant changes um, from, from some of the books, which, you know, always occurs whenever you're drawing from a novel or from comic books or something. But I believe she calls it blasphemous, the movie. Yeah. Um, which can tend to happen. Um, but the film, you know, it really is trying to be a team-based superhero epic. And you're right that the, the closest comparison that you can really get, uh, to what this is trying to be is something like the X-Men only set in, uh, you know, in, in a medieval period of China. Um, that's kind of indeterminate because this is a fantasy. Um, so you've got these characters that on paper and in the trailer look very, very interesting. Um, and the actors themselves, I think the, the, the casting is okay with, uh, with the exception for me of, I think, uh, Liu Yifei, who I just didn't care about in, in the role. And, and she's supposed to have this sort of connection, this, this, you know, romantic linkage between uh, her and Deng Chao, even though she, her name emotionless is basically, you know, what she is. She has some kind of mental powers, telekinesis, and, and she can also read people and see, you know, um, see beneath the facade that they're presenting. So, for example, if, if you're, like, 
you know, if you're like Bruce Wayne and you're pretending to be happy, she can somehow, she'll see like a ghost image of you and what you really are, you know, supposed to be like in your heart. Um, so, you know, so the, the characters themselves are interesting and the powers are interesting, but it's also very confusing because there's not really enough time spent on development or characterization. You're introduced to these people, but you never find out anything about them at all. Um, with the, maybe the exception of Dang Chow, you do learn a little bit about, you know, why he is the way he is, but you don't really learn much about anybody else. Um, and I think that that's, for me, was the biggest problem I had with the film. Um, the, the plot is kind of, you know, we, we've seen these kinds of plots before. I mean, the fact that you have these two organizations, these two basically spy organizations that work for the government, but at the same time are somehow competing with each other had me thinking back to Flying Swords of Dragon Gate, right? I mean, because that was basically a similar idea where you had these different spy organizations that were somehow trying to outdo each other to look good in, you know, and, and to try and advance in the government somehow. Um, and so, you know, this particular group is based around these, you know, individuals who have uh, paranormal abilities. You want to call them mutants. You want to call them uh, enhanced people, you want to call them martial artists, whatever, I don't know. Um, but, you know, this idea we've seen done elsewhere. And then the whole thing with the chair and her ability to move herself around, it was just, it was so very much Professor Xavier um, that it, that was very blatant. And then when I found out that it's not really like that in the novel, um, it seems even more derivative of of the X Men. Well, don't forget the ninja stars. Yeah, well, I don't think I don't remember Professor X flinging ninja stars with his mind, but it was black. Uh, it was back. I, I'm I'm not up on my my X Men that much, but anyway. <laughs> um. So yeah, it wants to be a superhero epic, but it doesn't really delve into the characters, and the characters are are what we're interested in finding out about. The villain, as you mentioned, he's over the top. He's obnoxious. I didn't really like him. Because of that, he didn't seem like a serious villain. And, and they, they keep trying to make this a big mystery. They tr keep trying to figure out who's allied with who and who's against who. And the audience knows because you've got all these scenes that, that show who's working for who. And you know who the villain is, but the characters don't. And a lot of the movie is them kind of sitting around trying to figure stuff out. Eating hot pot. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't work all that well. Um... And, you know, then by the end, you've got zombies. <laughs> so it becomes a zombie movie, which is kind of weird. Um, but the characters themselves, yeah, I really wanted to like Ronald Chang. This was almost the Ronald Chang character that I wanted. I mentioned, uh, I think, last time that, uh, you know, I was a big fan of the role he did in Fatal Contact, where he was, you know, because usually he's playing a jokester kind of, you know, uh, you know, comedic role, dragon-loaded and, uh, you know, uh, supermodel and things like that. Um, Fatal Contact, he was playing pretty much a semi-serious martial artist role, although he did have some comic relief, and I really loved him in that movie. Not a great movie, but I really loved his role in that movie, and, and ever since then, I've wanted to see him take on, you know, a sort of similar thing, where he's sort of a semi-serious, um, you know, uh, butt-kicker. And so, I kind of got that here, but they never really did enough with him for my taste. I mean, they, they didn't really get into his backstory. They hinted at a couple things, but maybe they'll get more into it in the sequels. I don't know. Um, so there's kind of still a, 
a little thread hanging out there, you know, a little carrot and stick action going on, uh, tempting me to, to, to go further with this series. Um, but I really wanted to see more uh, about him and his powers. And you mentioned um, Colin Cho. Uh, well, well, what's the last thing Colin Cho did? Was it The Matrix? No, I mean, he's been in other movies. I'm not sure what. But... In, in, in Hollywood? In Hollywood, it's the Matrix movies. That's the only one he did, and then he came back. Well, no, he back. was in. He, I think he was in uh, Mortal Kombat way back when. He was Liu Kang, if I remember correctly. I think. I don't know. I'd have to have to look him up. Um, wow. Well, actually, Chinese movies. I don't know what what he's done lately, actually. Now that I think about it. Um, but you know, he plays this character, Iron Hands. But he's got all these powers that uh, we we don't uh, we don't really understand. You know, it's like at one point he's generating electricity. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not uh, Colin Chow. That was Robin's show. It was Liu Kang. Got them yes. confused. Um, um, Colin Chow is a Miro. Sorry. What's that? Colin Chow is a Miro. Miro, okay. Yeah, he was a Miro as the, as the, as the, uh, the sleazy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, anyway, so, he, you know, he's, he's, he's supposed to have iron hands or, you know, something. But at one point, he does, like, this thing where he pulls a guy back using gravity. Um, and then he's building a wheelchair, and he's generating electricity out of his hands. So it's, it's, you're never really clear what his power is. What can he do, and why can he do it? Um, he's sort of, he's, he, he goes off. He's sort of got a temper a few times. Um, but then again, as you mentioned, Deng Chao, he's... He's got this, he hulks out, basically, when he gets angry. Um, and, and, you know, Ronald's power is basically, and like you said, he's really good with his legs, and he can hop along rooftops. And then Liu Fei is uh, the the mentalist, I guess, of, of the group. Um, the, the other part that's kind of nonsensical is, I don't, I don't really want to spoil it, but she does this stuff with her mind, and at one point, that makes you think, why does she even need a chair, right? Um, <laughs> you you, you kind of mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier. The the special effects, too, are kind of all over the place. Uh, they work okay in some scenes. In other scenes, um, they look really fake and, and not not very well integrated. Um, you know, sometimes with, with these effects, if they're not doing the compositing well, the shots come out looking kind of blurred and blurry. And you get that quite a little, quite quite a bit here. I mean, this is this is something they're trying to make as sort of a you know a multi-story epic. Oh, I was hoping the cinematography would be a little bit better uh, than it was. It's not down down there with things like uh, Sorcerer and the White Snake. It's not that bad, um, but it's not up to the level of Painted Skin Two or uh, Flying Swords of of Dragon Gate either. Um, so it's somewhere in that in that middle ground. They're, the sad thing is there's really interesting material here. It's just not well executed. And it's not the, it's not really the fault of the actors. Um, again, the special effects are okay. I, I kind of have to agree with you. It's really It really comes down to the direction and, and you know, a little bit of the editing in, in the way that this story is told. The writing, too. I think the as an, as an adaptation, it's probably not very well written um, in, in what it's trying to tell. So, yeah, I'd say... You know, if you like this kind of genre, TV it, but it's not something that you'd uh, need to go out and, and rush out and get a Blu-ray for. Oh, remember, we still have to sit through two more movies of this. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's assuming the funding comes through, right? No, no, the second movie's in production. 
and I think and I think going to shoot back to back. I think. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe uh, maybe things will get better. You know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it will break the rule of sequels not always being as good as the uh, the original. Um. So yeah, that's the four. That's is that the last kind of really big uh, Chinese blockbuster we have for a while. Until uh, July twenty seventh, when we get Wudang. Yeah. If that's a, if that's a blockbuster to you. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see. Until then, what do we have? More of a Twilight uh, Foot Kung Fu Five. No, we get we get uh we get um Batman next week, and then yeah, then two weeks is in two weeks. But is but for Hong Kong films, I mean, we don't have any really big effects. Oh, Wudang is, is, is Vincent Dow and 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 Louis Fan and Dennis Toe and directed by Patrick Lerner, so that's kind of Hong Kong. Hmm. Uh, but August second will bring us um. I keep forgetting what August 2nd brings us, but I think another Hong Kong film, August 2nd. Uh, I'll just have to hold up that... Uh, August Vul- is very busy. Bulgaria very- has more special effects in it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, August will be very, very busy for us in terms of Hong Kong films, so don't worry, Paul. This is just a, a good break for us. Yeah. I'll be changing diapers, so... Uh. <laughs> All right, shall we move on? East Green, West Green All right, so one West Green film to talk about this week, even though I did go out and see Ice Age 4. I'm not going to talk about it this week because um, if you've seen 1, 2, and 3, you're probably going to like 4. Um, I enjoy I enjoy those uh, animated things, and uh, I don't even mind watching them in, in, in 3D. Um, and I liked it, and uh, that's pretty much all there is to it. <laughs> uh, but this week we're going to be talking about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Uh, this is the film coming from director Timur uh, Berkmambetov. Please forgive me if I'm saying that incorrectly. Uh, he is somebody who you might recognize if you've seen his f- earlier films like Night Watch and Day Watch, um, both of which films um, were Russian films, I think, um, originally in Russian, and uh, uh, I saw years ago and really, really loved, um, even though they're just weird as all get-up. Um, but some really interesting takes on creatures of the night and integration into society, um, some European mythology. Um, he also directed The Darkest Hour, which I think... He we, did. He produced that one. He right. produced it. Okay. Yes. Um, which we got here in, I want to say January, February. I didn't get a chance to see, but apparently it came out in other places uh, 2011. And so this is his latest film. Um, this film stars Benjamin Walker as the title character, Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. Um, and this is a story where in some parallel alternate universe, uh, Abraham Lincoln meets up with a vampire and decides to become a vampire hunter, uh, after he learns that vampires killed his parents. Um, so this is based on a novel, so similar to the four, and we have another novel adaptation here. This is coming from the novel by Seth Graham Smith. Um, this is a mashup that's become somewhat popular in recent years. Um, the first, now the, it may not be the first, but the first mashup style that of this that I heard was a, a book called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And so this is kind of in that same vein. Um, the book, as I understand it, um, is kind of like, a little bit like Interview with a Vampire. It's based on, uh, um, you know, sort of a diary 
of Lincoln's exploits, uh, having become a vampire hunter. And basically, it, it takes place in, in a world where vampires exist. Uh, Lincoln gets trained by a man named Henry Sturgis um, when he learns that vampires exist very early on. Um, and uh, what we come to find out in the course of the movie is that uh, vampires are actually in control of much of the South. And as you might imagine, that brings in things like slavery uh, into the mix, and they tie the whole slavery issue in with vampires and feeding and um, so some really interesting historical perspectives. But on the whole, as a movie, um, not everything pans out to be to be um, as as good as I had expected. So basically, though, if you want to see Honest Abe axing down fangers. Um, this might be the movie for you. It's a really cool concept, but the first half of this movie really feels like it was made for the sci-fi network. It really feels like a sci-fi movie of the week. Um, it just sort of runs through the paces. I mean, I don't think you're even 15 minutes in, and uh, young Abe Lincoln is already in training, um, and you've got a training montage going on. So very little setup um, and very little sort of introduction into the world and why it is this way but it does play on a lot of sort of old hat in terms of vampire plot devices that you've seen and other things the one that kind of jumped out at me and made me go what was the whole sunscreen thing um i'm sure you've seen vampire movies before where you've got vampires walking around in the daytime because they've got super sunscreen um, so yeah, sunscreen is a thing that they had during Abraham Lincoln's time. Who knew, right? Uh, <laughs> the vampires did, obviously. Um, again, you know, trying to tie this in with historical events and slavery, it was interesting. I don't think that they convinced me. Uh, they, they didn't really sell me on, on that part of it, um, very well. I think, uh, I don't know how much of that was in the book uh, as opposed to in the in, in the way they, they play it out in the film, but basically all the southern plantation owners uh, here uh, are major vampires. And um, there is sort of an interesting quirk in, in the way that the vampires uh, can't deal with each other um, that, that sort of prompts Abraham Lincoln to uh, take up the axe. And, you know, he, he's using a, a, a chopping, a wood-cutting axe like a, a martial arts weapon. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, some of the choreography I think, I think is, 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 is pretty clever in, in what they do. Um, and it, of course the whole concept, uh, by the end of the film, um, I, I won't spoil it, but you know, cause it does deal with the civil war and it, it goes all the way through to, I mean, you know how Lincoln ends up. Um, so, you know, if you know what, what happens to Lincoln, it really goes right up to that point. Um, so from a history perspective, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting and, and I liked that part about it, that part about of it, that part of it, excuse me. Um, but yeah, by the end of the film, it really brings a whole new meaning to the idea of the South will rise again, which is, uh, the classic phrase that Southerners, people in Florida where I'm from and, 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 you know, other people who will proudly sport the Confederate flag, uh, like to put on bumper stickers on their pickups. Um, so yeah, the, the, the whole film though is very Hollywood-esque, builds to a climax on a train. Uh, by that point I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of this 
kind of action sequence before. There's some really clever uses of history in places, though, and, and the, the middle of the film is a lot less about slaying, and it really gets more into politics. And that part was when I sort of perked up, um, because the beginning was kind of rushed, and then, again, the training montage and everything. Um, but by the middle, when it, you know Lincoln decides, oh, I've got to go run for public office, um, that part, to me, became more interesting. That might bore some. You know, so if you if you're somebody who's really going in for the the hacking and slashing, that middle section might drag a little bit for you. Um, but I liked it. So you know, on on the whole, uh, Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, uh, I'd say you got to TV it and you know tell me when I'm gonna get to see Mao Zedong, werewolf slayer, because uh, that's the <laughs> next match. That's the next match. <laughs> yeah, Japanese hunter. Uh, that's the next mashup I want to see. Um, and, you know, of course, in the great words of wisdom of Mr. Lincoln, please always remember... Be excellent to each other. And... Party on, dudes! Yeah, so be excellent to each other and uh, party on, dudes. Uh, so yeah, TV it, uh, if you're interested to see the president of the United States, uh, slaying, slaying monsters. Uh, Matt in the chat room says, it sounds a bit like Bubba Hotep, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, Bruce Campbell, uh, played an aging Elvis, uh, fighting a mummy in a rest home. That, that's a really cult film, and I think this is, this is much more Hollywood envisioned. Uh, than this film, um, it's you know it's it's got a lot of Matrix slow motion things and uh, you know t t again typical stuff that you've seen. It's got a couple scares thing things you've seen in movies like Blade and elsewhere. Um, so uh, I think I think that you know I, I like the actor that played Lincoln. Uh, he he was he was very good and. Again, for me, the politics and the, and the historical aspect was really enjoyable, but I think it might lose a lot of people. Uh, it may it might they might see it a little bit too cheap in terms of the effects and a little bit dragging in the middle. All right, I think it's time to talk about a uh, a Blu-ray. So let me play this. The East is blue. Wait, what? All right, so we have one video pick to talk about this week, and actually it's a, a dual pack, right? Uh, Kevin, you're going to tell us a little bit about the latest Miyazaki Blu-ray? Yes, uh, Studio Ghibli has been uh, up, uh, remastering their, their, their you know, most beloved classics like Nausicaa and Laputa and um, even, you know, minor more minor films like whispers of the heart for for blu-ray and their latest release is actually the one that many people i'm sure have been waiting for it's my neighbor totoro and um grave of the fireflies uh actually you do have a choice japan has given you a choice to buy the two the two films separately so if you're uh, you have been collecting the the sets based on the the, the 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 traditional covers that they they come in then you can buy those two separately but uh for you know People who are just buying the movies for the movies like me who are not collecting the entire set. Uh, I've actually bought the duo set because the two films actually originally played in cinemas in 1988 as a double feature. Meaning that you first watch, for one ticket, you first watch Grave of the Fireflies and then you watch My Neighbor Totoro. Which, it's I can't, I can't imagine, it's, one of the, it's probably one of the greatest an, a, animated film marathon ever. 
I think. Uh, because, well, I, I am a much bigger fan of My Neighbor Totoro than Grave of the Fireflies, even though, you know, both are really great films. My Neighbor Totoro is essentially one of my favorite films ever. So, yes, I, it was no question that I had to buy this this double set. So this really impressive duo set uh, comes with um, the Blu-rays of both movies, um, each, of course, containing your, your, your typical Studio Ghibli um Blu-ray Extra, which is the, the entire movie and storyboards, uh, multiple soundtrack choices, uh, all region, of course, English subtitles. Um, but note, note that only Totoro has the multiple language option, meaning it has you know the Italian dub, the Cantonese dub, the uh, English dub, of course, and uh, multiple subtitles. Uh, meanwhile, Great for the Fireflies only has English uh, for, for both language and subtitles. Um, but the set does come with something that's exclusive that comes with the set, only with this dual set, and it's an A4 size pamphlet that I think it's a, essentially a recreation or a replica of the the, uh, um, the, the, the flyers or the, the booklets that you could buy at the time in, in cinemas when the film played. So it does contain a lot of stills and uh, music score or song, song score for the My Neighbor Totoro um, songs. Uh, interviews with, with creators and things like that. And of course, if we're going to talk about the remastering. I just checked out Totoro when I got home, and I've never seen my neighbor Totoro this, this clean. You know, it's an old film. It's, uh, uh, it's a 24 year old film for a film that's been 24 years old, an animated film. Literally, the drawing literally jumps out at you. It's almost, it's almost three dimensional. And it's, you know, and talk about two dimensional, you know, traditional line drawings here. And they, 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 it's simply stunning. I've never seen Totoro look this good before. It, it looks just like a new film, I think, in, in traditional drawing styles. So, yes, it is a very steep because it's a Japanese version. Uh, so it cost me about, I don't know, 900 something dollars Hong Kong for both movies. Uh, so that's and that, about. Uh... 125 US approximately roughly something like that and of course 9700 yen in in yen so he has 125 dollars US or so but if you're a fan of the films and if you're a Studio Ghibli fan you are likely a fan of Totoro because that's the animal on the on the studio logo so um oh of course and I should also acknowledge that yes the director of Great for the Fireflies is Sao Takahata and uh I, even though I haven't checked out that that print yet um, if if the neighbor, my neighbor Totoro uh, quality is anything to go by, we all know that Great for the Flies, Fireflies is going to look great. And of course, the film is still one of the greatest anti-war films ever made. So if you do want to create essentially what is known to be one of the most remarkable, powerful theatrical experiences ever, I mean, imagine watching two vastly, vastly different films in one go, then yes, uh, I would highly recommend this set. And um, yeah, uh, Essentially, I think it, yeah, the price is really steep, but I think it's it's really worth it if mm. you're a fan of the films. Now, is it, you you mentioned that uh, they're both available individually? Yes. Um, what's the price like for the individuals as compared to the to the set? Is it would it be as expensive to buy them both separately? Yes, actually, it's only about um, for the staff price I bought. It's only about maybe a twenty dollar Hong Kong difference. And I get the, and you don't get the big pamphlet, mm. but but of course there are people who are collecting, like I said, who are f- trying to collect all the boxes, and they want to get all the boxes in the Studio Ghibli collection, all the traditional design pattern. So there is that is the one catch. If you if you don't want if you want to keep that pattern, then don't buy this dual set because this dual set doesn't really quite follow that scheme. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're collecting these one by one, then yes, I would suggest buying them separately. But if you really care about getting that pamphlet, and if you really are getting, uh, if you're a really big fan of the films and you're not collecting the set, then go for the double set. Yeah. Um, any word on when we're getting uh, the Crimson Pig? Oh, Pocoroso? Yeah. I have no idea, but essentially the Miyazaki directed ones, you only have Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away to go and Pocoroso there's only three left so you know it's coming in the next two years or so of course there's also the more minor films like The Cat Returns and Only Yesterday and things like that so there's still plenty of life to go in the Studio Ghibli collection that that should last them for another two years and of course they will continue producing films so um, and of course uh, From Baba Poppy Hill just came out last month Um, so you know Studio Ghibli Blu-rays are still alive and well and, and the quality of course has always been stellar and continues to be stellar yeah uh, I, I'm definitely going to be getting Totoro at some point. I've got uh, uh, Naushka already and Laputa, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't gotten any of the others yet. Those, those are those two, along with um, Crimson Pig, are I think my three favorites. Uh, Graveyard of the Fireflies is 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 good, but it's just too hard to watch. Uh, yeah, it's it's too it's yeah. too heavy, and it just doesn't appeal to me. Um, all yeah. that much. I mean, it's it's great animation for its day, um, but it's not something that I would care to watch m- multiple times. Um, of course, I I I, I do want to eventually get for, a full collection though. So, if you're looking for a cheaper alternative, of course there will be a Hong Kong version is coming eventually. But um, if Poppy Hill hasn't been announced yet, um, we don't know when the the Hong Kong version of Totoro will or or Great for the Fireflies will come. Maybe another four or five months never mm. know yeah so yeah just keep holding your breath if you're looking for a cheaper alternative but for me i am i don't regret buying the japanese version mm. that's because i'm rich so <laughs> yes yes you are <laughs> i'm rich in friends and love. <laughs> uh, you know lee kassing right <laughs> no i damn lee kassing <laughs> <laughs> But you run my internet, so I can't. Okay, forget it. <laughs> Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee You play the whole thing. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> We've got to remind Lee Kashing of your love for the man, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's going to do it, folks. Um, if you would like to be part of the show, of course, you can always head over to the website, congcast.com. You can either type in kongcast.com or kong slash or dash cast.com. Both of them will work. Um, iTunes, of course, we'd be happy if you head over to iTunes and leave us your thoughts, leave us a review. Uh, we'd love to hear from you there. Uh, twitter.com slash concast to follow the show twitter.com slash foxlore um, if you'd like to follow along with all the stuff and uh, the the geekery that i am talking about twitter.com slash the golden rock that's one word the golden rock to follow mr ma and i urge you to do so because he does tweet about uh, film news and uh, figures and numbers and lots of really interesting stuff if you're following uh, some of the some of the more cinema related news more 
specifically. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us directly, you can email the show at gmail. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. Send us a question, send us a comment, um, send us a short review as an audio file, and we might just play it here on the show. Of course, if you are iTunes-averse, you can catch us on Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, additional thanks going out to Rob Gowser, Rob Gubbers of Snauzer Studios for our theme, uh, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for keeping us organized with movie nights. Um, if you are going to be in Hong Kong and you would be interested in joining a movie night, you can head over to our page, and we try to keep. Um, I try to keep the schedule there of um, both when we do shows and when we have movie nights. Uh, on that little schedule on the right side of the page. So you can check there and drop us a line, and we'll tell you how you can come out and uh, watch some of these crazy films that we go out and see. Uh, of course, big thanks to the K-Man for sticking with me for 116 going on 117-plus episodes. And as always, all of you, the listeners, for being here each and every week. Big thanks to the chat room, Blue Summers, Marcos Bomberg, Matthew Seidel, Kenneth Brorson of Podcast on Fire Network. We are in the presence of a podcasting greatness all the way from Europe. Uh, we're very happy to have all of you guys in the chat room with us each and every week. Um, Kevin, anything going on? Anything you want to point the uh, listeners to? Um, well, anyone in Hong Kong, you might want to watch out for August 5th uh, because it, ahead, of, uh, ahead of the release for Bulgaria, um, UA Cinehub will be screening Confessions of a Concubine. Because Bulgaria is essentially about a bunch of guys trying to remake Confessions of a Concubine. So, um, yes, before the movie comes out, there will be a Cinehub screening of Confessions of a Concubine with director Pan Ho Chan in attendance. So if you don't mind the movie having no English subs uh, and you want to see what the fuss is all about before Bulgaria comes out, then, yeah, um, buy your tickets now. Um, now, that movie is in Cantonese? Mandarin. 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 Mm, that'll be difficult. Um... I'll have to think. About I already that. bought my tickets. Did you? So uh, they're yes. probably going to go out pretty fast. I'm, I'm imagining. Um, is that film on video? It is on DVD, but I, because they're showing that on subtitled DVD, so yes, you also know you also now know that the, the DVD is unsubtitled. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. I'll have to see if I can try and pick it up. I don't know if I'll be able to make it out to the movie. Um, but yeah, they're they're only going to be doing that for one show, though, right? Just one show because it does come with a Q and A with uh, Pamela Chan. Yeah, and that's going to be uh, yes. Which cinema? U A I Square. I Square. Okay, so in uh, right down there in uh, TST. Yes. Yep. Uh, and of course, uh, one more reminder uh, before you decide to watch the Batman uh, in in IMAX, uh, do go check out the Hexagon Concept blog. Um, our, our founder, co-founder, uh, Mr. Shbam, Marco Spambeg, did uh, write a, a post about um, your IMAX options and why you might not want to watch The Dark Knight in IMAX. Hmm. All right, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to go and check that out, even though we've already bought our tickets. <laughs> so, yes, uh, next show, episode 117, will probably be all about Batman. Um, that is providing I get out to see it and wife doesn't have a baby between now and then uh that may change things uh 
she she's kind of rather upset with me because she was asking me earlier this week, am I going to be able to go watch Batman? <laughs> and I said, I don't think so, dear. We don't know what's going to happen, you know. And she's all bummed out about it now. I, um, I don't think a pregnant woman should go watch Christopher Nolan's Batman. It's too much. Well, you know, it's... You know, she, she kind of just wants to be at home these last few weeks. Um, you know, she doesn't want to be out and have something happen and then have to go but go to the hospital because she's got a bag here that she's going to take to the hospital and everything. So she's trying to stay home more, but she really wanted to see Batman. So, um, and of course, we've got Brave next month. She's been dying to see Brave. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen, babe. <laughs> wait for video. So, yeah. Um, but hopefully, next episode, 117, will be all about Batman. Um, and I don't think we've got an East Screen film for next week, do we? Uh, no, we don't, but we can revise it. Yeah, we'll find something to talk about. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing. Uh, be excellent to each other. Party on, and we will see you next week. Party on, dudes.